You're listening to Review and Preview on Facebook Live. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to Review and Preview. I'm your host, Tom Scavetta. I'm back, excited to be back, joined by this week's co-host, Hank Indictor. Hank, how are you doing? Doing pretty good. Good to be back on Review and Preview, and good to finally be back to normal and have you on as the host of an episode of Review and Preview. How's it going, Tom? I'm doing excellent. I'm super excited to be back hosting tonight after a long-awaited return. Folks, make sure to go check out Review and Preview on our social media below on Instagram, Twitter, like our Facebook page. Also, our audio is up on the Anchor and follow our YouTube and TikTok channels respectively for exclusive content. Also, make sure to give a like on the show. It helps with the Facebook algorithm with the way things have gone lately. Um Hank, excited to have you on here. Obviously, you are also my co-host for Big Blue Avenue, but um, we're going to have a great guest on in just a couple moments. Um, just let him finish getting set up back there. And Hank, the Philadelphia Eagles and the Washington Commanders on Monday Night Football, uh, great game. Washington upsetting the Eagles for Philly's first loss of the season. Um, do you think this was a fluke? By the Eagles? I would say yes to a certain extent because, I mean, look, when you see teams go undefeated for a late stretch, sometimes that first loss happens probably to a team that you would least expect. If you recall last week when I was on and I had Nick Morgison as my guest co-host, we both agreed that the Giants were a potential team that could hand that one to the Eagles and Obviously, of course, I still think my RG men have a chance to beat the Philadelphia Eagles later on in the season, but that's neither here nor there. I definitely would because, I mean, look, it's a division rivalry. You never know what could happen in those games. I guarantee you if the Eagles were to rematch against Washington, I think you probably would get a a different result. But that said, I guess it's probably for the best for them that they finally got that first loss out of the way. I mean, look, let's not let's not forget 15 years ago, I'm sure new England still regrets getting lucky against the Baltimore Ravens. Yeah. It's definitely an interesting topic to talk about with Philadelphia. I mean, I, I still think they're legit. I mean, let's pump the brakes guys. It's only one loss to a divisional opponent. It's a crap shoot. Um, Taylor Heineke, again, he just finds ways to win. Um, again, you know, you could talk about the late hit on him by Brandon Graham, 13-year vet, unfortunate there for Philly. Do you think that was a late hit? 
No, I did not think that was the right call. I thought it was odd that they would call it, especially after the guy gave him like a light tap when he was like on the ground. But, you know, it is what it is. Sometimes the NFL has these really screwy calls. But, yeah, that's pretty much my opinion on it. The protection of the quarterbacks is definitely up. Now, I want to ask you this. Heineke, 3-1 and one, as the Washington starter, um, you know, Brian, uh, Brian Robinson on the ground had a touchdown along with Antonio. You know, Gibson, great one-two punch for Washington. Uh, Scary Terry, too, with eight catches and 128 yards. Um, It seems like the offense is responding well to him. You know, he's getting the ball to their playmakers. Should Heineke be the guy moving forward for the commanders? That's what I would like to know. What's your thoughts on that? Honestly, at this point, you kind of have to. I mean, I know there's a saying that's like, you know, you don't really want to have your quarterback lose his job because of the injury. But if you're three and one with Taylor Heineke and he's the one getting you all these wins and you think about what Carson Wentz has been dealing with, whether it be injuries or the fact that he's now on his third different team and that he's dealt with a significant amount of regression at this point, I don't see how you can keep You can even go back to Carson Wentz at this point. I mean, Taylor Heineke's had a number of, good performances. And let's not forget, this is the same guy who not too long ago had a big win against Tom Brady, a fun fact for you. So when you really look at it and it comes down to it with regards to Washington quarterbacks, I think you have to go with the guy who's been able to get you a lot of wins and look, Washington, believe it or not, they may be the team in last in the division, but they're still at 500. They still technically have a shot at the playoffs. So you might as well go with your best at this point. I think Washington's in an interesting spot right now. I think they're only half a game back of the wild card. But uh, for more expertise and analysis on this game, let's bring up our special guest of the evening, The Fog, joining the show. What's up, Fog? How are you? How's it going? Um, I'm sorry about Monday night, but it's a pleasure to have you here. And congrats on an eight and one start to the season. That is absolutely remarkable <laughs> for your team. Ah, no, thank you, man. I'm I'm glad to be on the show. Glad you glad glad you guys are having me here. I am not disappointed in the loss at all, and I am pleasantly surprised with where Philadelphia is right now because I did not have these expectations. For them, um, I thought the division was so bad. I put a parlay bet on the Chargers, the Eagles, and Bengals to win the division <laughs> right before the season started. This was not what I expected this division to be. We went from the NFC least the last five years back to the NFC beast literally overnight. I agree 100%. Uh, quick comment here from James Montefusco saying, What's up, gentlemen? Uh, thank you very much, James, for commenting. And um, Fog, before we dive into this, can you tell people where they can find you and your work? Okay, you can find me on uh, Apple Music and Spotify at Objectively Biased Sports. Um, you can also find me on Instagram at The Fog. And you can uh, find me on my sports page, Objectively Biased Sports, um, on Facebook. We're also relaunching uh, Fourth Quarter Quarrel, myself and uh, my co-host Brian Amajuru from Be Easy Entertainment and Sports. Um, he unfortunately had to move to the West Coast, 
both of us were in uh, transitions of moving. I'm in the transition of moving now. So it's been kind of tough for us to get back on it, but we will be back on uh, and live next week doing our show. Awesome. Great to hear that. Um, now, your Philadelphia Eagles are, in my opinion, they're still the best team in the NFC at this time because um, you beat the other team that has the same record as you. Um, talk to me about Jalen Hurts, though. Should he be considered as an MVP candidate? Um, you know, I, I feel like there's a, a big divide when it comes to this question. And Hank, I want your opinion as well. Um, but we'll start with you here first, Fog. What do you think about Jalen Hurts? Should he be in that discussion? Or do you think that he's playing really well, but it's more of a collaborative effort and Hurts is being lifted by the players that are surrounded that are surrounding him? Um man, that's a loaded question. Yeah, uh yeah. he he Jalen Hurts has shown tremendous growth. And again, I've always argued that football is a consummate team sport. So when you look at his numbers and you look at what he's done and how he's performed both on the ground and then uh, through the air, I'm going to say he's not an MVP candidate at this time. Uh, I think it it is more a collaborative effort when you look at what the Philadelphia Eagles doing as a team. And it, again, I had my, doubts about Nick Sirianni long before they started winning. And when he turned over the reins to uh, Charlie Stricken in regards to play calling midway through the season last year, you saw a difference. You saw consistency and you're seeing more of that this year. You're seeing much better coaching outside of the Monday night game where I couldn't figure out what they just threw through everything they did to get to where they were at at 8-0 on that Monday night game. They said, hey, you know, we're going to throw that playbook out the window uh, and we're going to do this first half on the fly because that's exactly what it did. The the fact that they had 14 points was amazing. Uh, But again, defense, turnovers, short field opportunities that they had got them those 14 points. Uh, But outside of that, yeah, I I can't – look, Hurts is six in completion percentage, but he's 13th in uh, overall passing yards. He's, I think, 10th or 11th in touchdowns, but his touchdown-interception ratio has been fantastic. He's uh, fourth, I think, behind uh, Brady, Mahomes, uh, Geno Smith, Geno freaking Smith. There's there's a name I didn't expect to throw in there. <laughs> and, and, uh, and Tua Tagovailoa. So he, he, he's doing his due diligence. He's the third in passer rating. I think he's top five in the QBR. So he's performing well. But a lot of that has to do with the way this offense is performing. This is a top five offense uh, from the way they block run blocking to pass protection for him. I think coaching has been a considerable help in them working the offense around Jalen Hurts' strengths as he continues to develop as a quarterback. So, no, I'm not going to give him a nod in the MVP conversation right now. That eight and one is a team effort. Yeah, I tend to side with you on that fog. I think, make no mistake, I think Jalen Hurts is absolutely fantastic. Like, you look at where the NFL is today, you don't go 8-1 and one at this point with a quarterback that mm-hmm. stinks. Let, let's put it that way. 
But with that having been said, I think having AJ Brown as one of his big weapons has a lot to do with why he's having such a great year. And, you know, Fog, I think you really nailed it on the head. Um, Howie actually did a decent job at drafting a good team around him. And look, this is coming from someone who has been on record for criticizing a lot of moves that Howie made. And make no mistake, I still stand by a lot of my criticisms of Howie, and I'm sure you probably agree with me in that department as well. But with that having been said, I think he's doing an excellent job, but I also think, to put it all in perspective, I wouldn't say he necessarily stands out as somebody that's like carrying a team to win, even though he's yeah. definitely been great. I think he's all. I think it really goes hand in hand. Essentially, is what I'm saying. Uh, that's an interesting point for me. I, I would side with you guys as well, but I, I do think that. At the end of the day, um, to Hank's point, the quarterback play has to be there in order for this team to have this much success. Um, you know, whether it's been the passing touchdowns, the rushing touchdowns, um, all in all, I think that Philly is a dominant football team that I'm scared to play twice late in the season. They're definitely very intimidating. Um, but you know, I'm up for the challenge, obviously. Um, but yeah, Hank, I guess, well, why don't you take the next question here? Because obviously Philadelphia did suffer a tough injury in Monday night's football game. Yes, they did. And we got to talk about the severity of de- of uh, the injury to Dallas Goddard. What do you think it is at this point, Fog? And um, who do you feel is the one that needs to step up in his place? Um, Honestly, I think it's a serious shoulder sprain. Now, the severity of it, uh, it's obviously something big because uh, they put him on the IR. So he's out a minimum of four weeks. It's interesting because if he was if he was a famous person, we would know what bathroom he went to go urinate in. But he's in. He went to a doctor's. There's so many different people he had to report to at the medical facility for the Eagles, uh, 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 all the way up through the coaching staff and Eagles management, and nobody has any information on what specific shoulder injury he's suffering from. I think they said an AC injury uh, was the last thing I read. I don't even know what that is. <laughs> like an AC joint, no? Yeah, I'm like, I'm like, they, so there's, there's nothing that has come out definitively, but what it is is I'm going to say we're not going to see him until either Christmas. Uh, there, I think they got a game on Christmas Eve. Or January 1st, week 17, which, again, depending on where the Eagles are at that point, they might not, if if they've already clinched the division or clinched a playoff spot, you might not see Goddard until the playoffs, to be honest with you. Um, as far as who's stepping up, it's got to be the coaching staff. You're, you're, uh, look, I, I, John School or Skull is their backup tight end and then they got a rookie behind him neither one of these guys are going to be anything that's going to jump off the page and give you top three tight end performance the way uh, Goddard has given you he's uh I think second on uh receptions for the team third on yards uh, uh receiving yards for the team so it's going to be the, up to the coaching staff and how they are going to work a game plan around where now you've got Smith You've got Brown. You need another receiving option. What are you going to do to incorporate, in my opinion, Kenneth Gainwell into the offense? We've he's he's there. 
He's giving you good numbers when you put him on the field. What are you going to do to create that third receiving option that's going to at least give or multiple third receiving options that are going to be able to give you the productivity that you were getting from Goddard? That's a good point. I like Dallas Goddard as a tight end. It sucks that he went down like this, but um, you know, hopefully guys can fill up in their place. Obviously, Fog, you know I'm not rooting for you guys, but, I mean, obviously I respect the talent. I respect the competitive nature, and, um, you know, hopefully it's us two at the end there and not Dallas. Um, <laughs> that would be definitely – um, interesting, but any, any takeaways from you from this Washington game? Was there anything that you didn't like? Um, cause I thought defensively, you know, the, the Eagles, maybe they weren't as dominant as they usually were. Cause you know, that there, there's, there, there's been a lot of, um, you know, I know Chauncey Gardner Johnson had a big interception in this game. Um, you know, he's been a great addition for you guys, but any, any takeaway from that Washington game? Outside of the play calling, nothing really. I mean, they the, the players were still out there playing hard. I just feel like, like I said, they just took the playbook of what was working and said, you know what, today we're going to try something different. I feel like they're predictable with their a lot of their offensive play calling. Um, right. I feel like they're, they're, uh, they've become a very one-dimensional running team from an aspect of almost everything is – geared around a uh, RPO type uh, offense. So when you see there's specific lineups in there that you see, and it's like, okay, I know what I'm going to get when they uh, have this uh, spread lineup, or I know what I'm going to get when they have Gainwell in the backfield, as opposed to Sanders, if it's, if, if they're on the short side of the field, I think the only creativity that I've really seen out of their offensive play calling I think I saw more of it against Pittsburgh than I did against Washington, which again was a little disappointing is when they would line up trips and set up like a bubble screen read off of the RPO. I I didn't see a lot of that, which I had seen in previous games where you were actually, it was truly a run pass option, whether you were letting the screen pass go to Devonta Smith or you were uh, handing it off to Sanders up the gut reading off of uh, what the safety was going to do based on the lineup. So, you know, there was a lot of things that they were normally doing where you would see uh, specific lineups and plays called five, six, seven, eight times during the course of game where you were lucky if you saw one in that Washington game. I don't know if they just said, hey, we're going to try something new to throw everybody off. But again, outside of that, and I'm going to chalk it up to being an anomaly because we've got eight games to say this wasn't what this team was. I, I don't, I didn't see anything really drastic. I would agree. Um, Defensively though, defense has been great this year for the most part. Can you name two to three guys that have stood out to you on the defensive side of the ball? Maybe even a player that you weren't expecting to perform this well, James, James Bradbury, (laughs) (laughs) James Bradbury. He's one guy. Um, I, I, let me, I got his numbers right here. He's got three interceptions. He had four with the giants last year and then three, his previous year with the giants and, uh, three his previous year with the, the Panthers. So he's already on pace to get more interceptions than he has in his entire career in a, a single season. 
11 uh, pass deflections, I think he's got two, which has yeah. already got him up, I think, seven away from his most with the Giants, which was 18, if I'm not mistaken. So he's been a pleasant surprise uh, in the secondary. Obviously, uh, Gardner Johnson is – he's absolutely killing it, leading the team with interceptions. I think he's got six. Um, but one guy that's really standing out and he stood out last year and he's standing out this year because he's on pace to actually break his, uh, total tackles from last year. He had, uh, a buck 30, I think last year he's at 80 right now. And that's, uh, Edwards, TJ Edwards. He's playing fantastic at the linebacker position. The guy is all over the football field. And I think what, what, uh, what, I'm not used to linebackers playing well in Philadelphia. Um, the last time the Eagles had a decent linebacker that played well, I want to say it was uh, Seth Joyner and, and Byron Evans were the Eagles linebackers in the early 90s. <laughs> oh, with the Buddy Ryan defense. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like that. That's all I can think of. I can't think of any other real solid line. I mean, they had Kirkland there for a couple of years, but again, we're talking late nineties, early two thousands with Kirkland. They really didn't, haven't had a solid linebacker core or a linebacker that stood out for a long time. Um, what about maybe, Trent Cole? Wasn't he decent? Trent Cole, Jeremiah edge. Trotter, Jeremiah Trotter. Trotter, Trotter, Jeremiah Trotter was a guy that, uh, but again, g- give me a linebacker. The Eagles had over the last 10 years. That was worth anything. I can't think of anybody. So, and Edwards is a no name. Nobody talks about this guy. This guy, he's he's in the top uh, fifteen, I think, in total tackles, top ten in tackles for linebackers this year. The guy's playing amazing football. Yeah. Steve Ellis also chiming in saying, "What about Trotter? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Trotter, definitely a good player." Um, Garth Michael Patrick saying hello. Good evening, gentlemen. How is everyone tonight? Go Chargers. Thank you, Garth, for the comment. <laughs> Chauncey Gardner-Johnson is a former Gator. That is yep. correct. Garth is a huge Florida Gators fan. Um, he has a question for you, actually, before we get to Hank's next question. How is my former Chargers guy, Kaiser White, looking? <laughs> he's looking. He's, 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 a, he's filling in nice, uh, I'm going to say. Uh, he's, he actually, I forget, I think it was the Steelers game. He had a nice, uh, a nice play, but again, he, he's, he's just, he's a role player at, at, yeah. at the moment here. <laughs> Hank, you're up, buddy. All right. So my next question for you is who do you see as a second half breakout candidate and by the way you can give more than one answer for this if you want to because i'm sure there are probably a number of players that come to mind for you there's one guy that i feel again if philadelphia is going to have success now uh post the goddard injury i said his name already kenneth gainwell Mm. yeah he's got four i think he's averaging four and a half yards per carry he's uh averaging 5.6 yards per reception uh he's i think he's got six touchdowns already on the year get him involved in the game plan i love miles sanders don't get me wrong but a nice two back set 
with Sanders and Gainwell, and they you could still run your RPO off of that without Goddard there now, and you get Smith, A.J. Brown, and Quez Watkins, you can still incorporate a lethal passing game. This is why I miss Andy Reid, because Andy Reid would have figured this shit out immediately. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, And I'm not so sure about Sirianni and uh, Stricken and how they're going to figure it out, but Kenneth Gainwell, to me, if they're going to if they're going to have this second half push without Goddard there, Gainwell is going to have to be one of their big players. So I'm going to go out on a limb and say Gainwell is going to have that uh, second half breakout where people are going to be like, oh, he did it last year. He there were games at the end of last season where he exploded. He was a main cog in, in the reason why they won or were in some of the games they were in. So I'm hoping to see that again this year. Yeah, and I don't think you guys were getting, to quote you from last year, bombed in the first round of the playoffs. I think you might be doing the bombing if you wind up playing in that, which I don't think you will since you have the tiebreaker over Minnesota. But there's still a lot of season left. And by the way, I don't know if you saw this. I know the Jordan Davis injury has been a bug, but Linval Joseph signed today. Yes. What do you think of that signing? Um, Again, it's good. It's It's depth. It's what the it's depth. It's what the it's what every team needs. It's what every team needs. You want to have depth um, in your front seven positions defensively. You want to have depth on the offensive line. And I I think Philadelphia and Roseman have remained true into getting that depth because you're going to need that at the uh, at the end of the season. You're going to need to have fresh legs going in and out. Um, when you hit that grind, especially the grind of the playoffs where the game actually gets tougher and slows down. I agree 100%. Hank, I know you're very familiar with Linval Joseph. Uh, great player for us <laughs> that unfortunately we had to let go. I mean, no, I liked him, but it was another, it was another one of those examples of a defensive tackle that they just could not keep, but mm-hmm. that's what it is. Yeah, Hopefully very, we can avoid that with um with sexy Dexy, but we'll talk Dexter about that. Lawrence. Yeah. Well, damn, yeah, you guys uh, uh BJ Hill too. BJ Hill, yep, that's another when he, one. Uh, he went to Cincinnati. Dalvin Tomlinson. Thank you, the Vikings. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Fog, you you could even go as far back as Cornelius Griffin. I don't know if you remember him oh, early. Shit. Yeah, yeah. And then he went to. Um, formerly known as the Redskins when he went there. Yeah. Um, Barry Cofield, then, too. Barry, Barry Cofield, yeah. Um, love Dexter, but I refuse to call another <laughs> man. <laughs> that's, that's a good one, Steve. <laughs> um, now, I'm looking this week, Fog, and uh, you won't get the Frank Reich reunion um, since he's now fired, but you're going to Indy this week to take on the Colts. Nick Foles is there as a backup. Matt Ryan's been reinstated as the new starter. Um, again, I know the Chiefs went in there and lost, but I don't think you guys will. I mean, obviously, Je- Jeff Saturday was literally hired off the street from ESPN. Um, you know, I guess what are your expectations for that game one and two? What do you think out of the the guys eight and one? So nine games left. No, nine games left. Yeah, nine games left. I think 
right? No, eight, eight, eight with 17. Eight. That's right. Eight games. 17 games, 18 weeks. It's still throwing me off a little bit. That's a, a new thing. But um, out of the eight games left, what's the toughest game on your schedule? Um, I, I expect the Eagles to dominate the Colts. Um, I, I haven't looked at the spreads yet. I got to look at that. Uh, Philly is actually on the road. Philly's done me justice on the spreads. <laughs> yeah, they they don't. First of all, double digit spreads. Most NFL teams don't cover, and Philly didn't cover that one Monday night. Thank God I took Washington. <laughs> it sucked taking. Well. It sucked taking Philly money line though in a parlay because like, oh, oh, God. God. But uh, I I expect them to win that game. Um, the Colts you saw inspired football, and we see this every time there's a coaching change or a quarterback change mid season. That next game, the teams play extremely inspired. Um, they went in there and, and uh, they dominated and, and took it to the Raiders. Um, now they're coming home. They're going to be tough. There's going to be excitement in there. Philly's going to have their hands full. But if Philly comes to play the way they've played outside of playing Washington, um, there's no reason why they can't walk away with a W there. So my expectations is the Colts will be brought back down to reality, and so will Saturday. Um, as far as the tough, there there isn't one tough. Uh, all these games for Philly are going to be tough. And there's not one that I can point out, but there's three games in particular that have me nervous. Um, the Titans uh, with a coach of the year candidate in Mike Vrabel and what he's doing with Tennessee right now. They've played everybody outside of that Buffalo debacle. The the Tennessee Titans have been quietly just putting them, asserting themselves and getting themselves back into contention. Um the other two games are going to be the Giants and the Cowboys. Uh, look, I'm, I still don't buy into Daniel Jones. I said he was a clipboard quarterback when he got drafted, and I stand by the fact that he's a clipboard quarterback. He's performing like a clipboard quarterback right now. You look at, you, you look at what he's doing. It's everything that Dable uh, is uh, putting around and working towards his strengths and not allowing him to make anything, you know, you're not making a play unless I approve of that play. Um, so I, you know, what the giants are doing right now is, is a direct reflection on Dable's coaching. And then I look at Dallas and I look Dallas shit the bed against green Bay. There's no reason he should have lost that game. Um, but what you get from Dallas is is that blindfold taste test. You don't know if you're going to taste beer, soda, or piss, and, and that's that's the way Dallas Dallas has played, and that's the way Mike McCarthy has been, uh, quite frankly. After uh, since the Packers won the Super Bowl, mm-hmm. you know it's it's been a mixed bag. You don't know what you're going to get, but I do know divisional games are. Yeah, Hank, you said it, the toughest games. And we've got two left with the Giants and one more left with Dallas, and they're both after the Tennessee game. All I'm going to say, Fog, is uh, Jalen Hurts against Daniel Jones. Get, get get your popcorn out. Just saying, the Giants, Eagles. I mean, just saying those Thank two you for that to quote, Tom. 
get your popcorn. I always say <laughs> you see you see what I did there. Yeah, um, yeah. Terrell Owens hasn't bitten an eagle in a long time, but I, actually, I um, isn't don't miss having to go up against him. What was that? He hasn't been on any NFL, any NFL team in a long time. <laughs> no, I just immediately what went into my head was the meltdown in San Francisco back in 2002. That playoff game we lost to Jeff Garcia, 39-38, and then the uh, oh. illegal the illegal man downfield at the end of the game with Trey Junkin. I, that that play just can't get at him. It was five. It was my first season watching the the Giants in 2002, and my gosh. I mean, for it to end that way <laughs> was horrible. It was absolutely – I think you guys made an NFC title game that year before you lost yeah. to the Bucks, right? Mm-hmm. I think we beat you guys to get in the playoffs with the Shockey touchdown. Yep. Yeah. So – The one – the game that Tiki almost screwed up with those fumbles. Mr. Yeah. Mr. Fumbles. Tom Coughlin fixed his fumbles. Yeah, and that was, uh, that was the last game ever at the Vet too, I think. Was it? Yeah, that was the last game ever at the bet. That wow, ended. that is great. 2002, Jesus. I'm trying to think, yeah, 20 years ago. But, um, Fog, we're going to talk some other games now if you want to stick around for that for a little bit. Um, uh, I know there was a game in Germany this weekend. I wanted your opinion on this. I thought the atmosphere was great. I really thought the atmosphere was great um, with – the Bucks and the Seahawks. A lot of fans from both teams there showing up. Historic game. The Bucks won twenty-one to sixteen, and this is going to sound a little weird. Brady's playing a lot better now that the divorce has been filed. Um, I, I think. Would you agree, Fog, that there was a mental aspect with Brady? the first several weeks of the season with that going on, do you think that played a, a role in his, his play at all? I, I never really thought his play was like bad, but it just wasn't like Tom Brady. Like, um, it has to look, I uh, speaking from experience, having, uh, come off of, uh, a divorce recently through two years ago. Um, you're regardless of, what your work ethic is or what your belief is. I've always been a guy I, when I go to my job, you know, I leave personal at home and I come, come into work and do work. But when personal is overwhelming to a point where it's going to affect your performance in general, it's something that, you know, Hey, personal is now everything. It's not about the job. It's not about anything else that I'm doing. Um, it's going to have an impact. It's going to take a toll on you. And I'm more than certain that it took uh, a toll on Brady, uh, regardless of how he wanted to pose it or present himself. Yeah, I'm, I'm good. We're always going to do that. We're guys. That's what we do. We're good. We're okay. I'll be fine. But yeah, it, 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 there's, there's definitely, there, there's definitely going to be times where he's at practice and he's not thinking about that, uh, that practice. He's not thinking about the importance of that. And that's going to translate going into the game where you may be dragging ass. You may, Hey, I, I read everything. I know what I'm supposed to do. I watched all the film and you just don't have it. And it's because you're mentally drained with all the nuance of legitimately going through a personal uh, crisis when it comes to uh family or, or uh, uh, right. the, 
going through a divorce aspect. Um, so yeah, it that's going to have an impact on you. Uh, no one can say it's not. What do you think, Hank? I mean, I'm looking at his stat line, 258 yards, two touchdowns, one interception. Granted, his receivers are healthy now. Um, you know, Seattle, better defense than advertised with Tar- Tariq Woolen, that cornerback has been a diamond in the rough in their secondary. What do you think? Yeah, I would probably tend to agree. I think the divorce probably – I think the, the divorce getting out of the way probably – helped into a certain extent, but I think you could also factor in the fact that the Buccaneers are finally playing to their full potential with the amount of talent that they have on their team. Although I'm still not quite as sold on the Buccaneers as I've been in like years past, because I mean, no. for one thing, I'm, I personally think that Todd Bowles is holding that team back. I mean, are we really sure that Brian there, what's his name? Bruce Arians being, promoted to the front office was necessarily a good thing or his retirement was necessarily. I think, good. I think they promoted the wrong assistant in my opinion. Yeah, I would agree. I, I was expecting Byron Leftwich to be the guy just because like I'd heard his name being involved in so many head coaching rumor mills and especially the Jaguars. They, they were the ones that I really thought were going to hire him, but then yeah, they, they went with your old friend Doug Peterson. So there's that. I, well, I think the reason that they uh, they went with Bowles, I think Tampa Bay, the success has made that organization immediately go uh, go to caution and say, well, Bowles was head coach before, and he's been he he was here under Arians for the last two years. You know, we're going to go with the safe bet here. I think that was the decision. Yeah. Um, as far as the Bucks being back, though. I don't know. I mean, they're five and five. You can never count out Tom Brady. I mean, we've seen it in the past. All you have to do is get into the playoffs and you have a chance. I mean, we saw what the Steelers did as a six seed, um, what the Giants did as a wild card. Fog, what your Eagles did um, that one year. They went, uh, (laughs) I think it was eight, seven and one or eight, six and one, and then made it to the NFC title game against the Arizona Cardinals. So you just have to get in and you have a chance. Why did you bring um, that game up? Hey, I'm just saying you ruined our uh, 12 and four one seed season. Oh. <laughs> I'll never forgive Donovan McNabb for that throw to the ankles. I, I think the receiver was James Avery. He had. Oh yeah, I remember. Him. He was. There was nothing between him and the end zone and McNabb. Oh God. Yeah, yeah, that was a. That was a tough. T- I remember week seventeen, they blew out Dallas, and they needed like eight things to happen that day, and they all mm-hmm. happened. I don't think we'll ever see a thing like that again. <laughs> I think you the craziest know. thing was the way that the was the way the Chiefs backed into the playoffs in '06, a couple years before that. I can't. I can't remember that one. They won their game. They needed like three or four losses to happen, and one of the crazier ones was. I think Jay Cutler played in a game where he had no business being in. He had, he was absolutely concussed. The Broncos ended up choking to the 49ers and Mike Shanahan man made some pretty questionable calls. You can go look at that game on YouTube to see what I'm talking about. And then I think the and then the Titans almost had an even crazier path because that was the year the Titans started like what were they two and two and six or something. They they were they had a really horrible start that year. They somehow managed to go eight and eight and they almost got in, but then they ended up and they 
were really close to that game against the Patriots, but then the Patriots ended up blowing them out in the second half. Right. No, Mr. Google here. that was the that's I think might be the craziest playoff back into that I can remember in our lifetime. Oh six Kansas City. 06. That was that Trent Green, Damon Heward. I remember think that was Trent Green, yes. Still still Trent Green, right? That okay. would have been I want to say that would have been Dick Vermeil's last year as head coach, if I'm not mistaken. If not Dick Vermeil, right. it would have been Herm Edwards. That was a Larry Johnson, Tony Gonzalez team. Yeah. Dwayne Bowe. Yeah. No, Bowe was drafted in 07. I forget. Anyway. Um, yeah, Bowe was later. Not to sidetrack here. But, um, yeah, I mean, look, I, I'm i not going to go ahead and say I think the Bucks are back. But, I mean, I think their defense very promising when you hold Kenneth Walker the third to just 17 rushing yards on 10 carries. Um, really good stuff. And Devin White with the two sacks and the three quarterback hits, very, very, very promising. But I want your opinion on another game here, game of the week, in my opinion. The Vikings, Skull Nation, 33-30 to overtime win over the Buffalo Bills. Who thought the Minnesota Vikings would be 8-1? and um, I will say – I did predict them to win the NFC North on the day of the Super Bowl last year. So I'm very proud. Yeah. And I was, I was called very crazy for saying that. Um, I still yeah. raised my hand of guilt. Um, that's, that's amazing because I said that I, I said the Vikings were going to uh, win the division at the, at the start of the year. Really? And yeah. And I, I'm loving what I'm seeing, but I, I'm also going to be honest with you. It is amazing that the Vikings are eight and one right now. And that game, they had no business winning. That was the Bills game to win. Um, now, granted, the Vikings played football in that second half like a team inspired. Like, oh, we really got a chance. These guys don't want to yeah. win this game. We gave them every opportunity and they don't want to win. So the Vikings did play a great second half of football. But what do we talk about? Brian Dable, how Daniel Jones has progressed, and what we're seeing there. Well, we're seeing Josh Allen regress to the quarterback that he was year one and half of the season in year two. We're seeing oh. a guy force the football. We're seeing a guy making bad decisions with the ball. We're seeing a guy trying to be a do-it-all. And we're seeing an offense being run by Ken Dorsey where you're not putting emphasis on the running game. Uh, and you're just saying, okay, we're just going to put in Josh's hands. And however it happens, we're just going to let it happen. And that's it. And so you're seeing the effect of Dable not being there. And I think it's telling because Josh Allen, as people had him because the Bills were – I think uh, had only one loss prior to the Jets game. And it's like, oh, he's still an MVP candidate, an MVP candidate. And I'm looking at his numbers and I'm going, well, I mean, Geno Smith is actually putting up better numbers than him going into that Jets game. I'm like, uh, you know, Jalen Hurts, even though his numbers aren't all bay, like I, there, there's other quarterbacks that I'd sit there and say were MVP candidates before, uh, Josh Allen, and then you see these last two games, the man's leading the league in interceptions right now. He looks more like 
a, a poor man's Brett Favre than he does this quote unquote great quarterback that people had him pinned for. There was there were there were some people as sports analysts saying that oh he might be better than Patrick Mahomes. I'm like he had one really good season. That's it. We need to see more. And obviously we're in, in the moment society, so nobody wants nobody wants to wait to see more. Well, now we're seeing more, and I'm not so sure that the Bills uh, are going to be contenders, and or, or might be more like pretenders because that offense mm-hmm. and if Josh Allen doesn't get corralled back and refined, this Bills team might lose that division. The, the Miami Dolphins might win that division. That's a very interesting take, and I like the different perspective there from the I, I, because, Fog, I'll be honest, I'm not sure if the average fan would agree with what you just said. But, I mean, the, the fact that you're saying that, it does make sense as where Josh Allen does miss Brian Dable a lot. We see how Daniel Jones is performing and where, you know, I don't I, I didn't fully agree with your point on Daniel Jones. I agreed with some of the points that you made. I totally see where you're coming from with the Josh Allen thing. He is trying to do too much. Ken Dorsey, he gets a little emotional at times. I mean, Brian Dables always seems like that more cool, calm, collected type of coach that is able to get the most out of his players. Well, I mean, occasionally you'll see him snap at somebody on the sideline, but that doesn't happen too often. Do I mm-hmm. still think Josh Allen's a top five quarterback? Yes, but is he? Mm-hmm. Be- I mean, the the comparison to Patrick Mahomes needs to stop because, and I, I'll be honest, I think. Josh Allen and Justin Herbert get a lot more credit for almost winning games than Mahomes actually does for winning games. Yes. Um, and I, I think the, the argument is, well, Mahomes has Andy Reid. But at the same time, Donovan McNabb had an, Andy Reid. And no, no offense, Fog, but McNabb never looked like Patrick Mahomes, you know? No. And, and again, I – I've always said this. Andy Reid is has been underappreciated as a coach. Yeah. But all of a sudden, Patrick Mahomes comes in. That's the quarterback that Andy Reid – that's the style of yeah. quarterback. A- Andy Reid had been looking for his Brett Favre since he was working for Mike Holmgren in Green Bay. Yeah. And he found Patrick Mahomes, and he's like, oh, I'm running wild with this. Yeah. So, well, yeah, now, Reid doesn't that. get enough credit. <laughs> Get him sit down for the year, and then he pretty much fixed him. Yes, I still think Josh Allen is really, really good, though. I will say that, but that 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 fumble is unacceptable on that QB sneak mm-hmm. and the one where Eric Kendrick scored the game-winning touchdown. It's unacceptable because the Bills had four total turnovers in this game. Three of them were from Josh Allen. Yep. That can't be happening. Um, you know, I get it. Justin Jefferson is going to do his thing. The man had 193 receiving yards. Um, Dalvin Cook did his thing. The Bills' defense couldn't stop the run. I think not having Jordan Poyer and Micah Hyde back there. I know Hyde's out for the season, but not having Jordan Poyer really hurt. It really hurt. Kyer Elam, not 100%. Their secondary is banged up right now. So, of and, course, the and, Vikings and are going to get their all of that, with all of that, at no point in time in that first half of the game did you think, ah, the Bills are going to lose. Yeah. At no point in time. <laughs> I still think the Bills will make the playoffs. Yeah. 
but I don't know now with this division because of how well Miami is playing. They just got Bradley Chubb. They have Raheem Mostert and Jeff Wilson in their backfield. Tua uh, continues to get disrespected by the NFL as far as like, you know, rankings go for quarterbacks, but that's another, that's another topic for another day. Um, Fog, before we let you go here, are there any other games in mind that really stood out to you this past weekend that um, you, you think fans should uh, take note of? Um, I'm, I'm, I'm going to say this. I'm, I, I'll say this till I'm blue in the face. Uh, Tennessee and Seattle. Those are two teams that you got. I, I think the 49ers are going to be okay. And that's going to be a, a that again, you guys could have, have at it with that one. I think the 49ers, not the Eagles, not the Cowboys, not the Giants might rep, be representing the end, not the Vikings either might be representing the NFC in the Super Bowl. I completely, <laughs> I actually, agree with that. they were close I, last year. I really think that that might be, but I think Tennessee and Seattle, what you're seeing, and these are my two favorite coach of the year candidates right now, Mike Vrabel and Pete Carroll. What you're seeing out of those two teams right now, what, what they've got to deal with is fantastic. And those those two games, even even though, look, Seattle struggled, I think, a lot. Tra- you're traveling from the West Coast all the way to Germany. You know, we talk about the time travel and how it affects uh, teams playing one o'clock games on the East Coast, traveling from the West Coast and how they struggle. That's that's an insane thing that that travel. But you watch, watch Seattle, watch Tennessee. Those are two teams that could really make that could make the playoffs, in my opinion, and actually be dangerous teams going forward. I like it. I think that's a great way to leave it off. But Fog, any uh, one more time, where can people find you and your content? Again, you find me on Facebook, uh, Objectively Biased Sports Facebook page. You find me on uh, Instagram at at the Fog, and you can find me Spotify, Apple Music, Objectively Biased Sports Podcast. Awesome. Uh, Make sure to go check out The Fog on those platforms as well. Um, He does a lot of great work and content. Um, Always enjoy seeing your posts on your page there, objectively biased sports talk. But Fog, thank you so much for joining. Tom, Hank, thank you guys. I appreciate it, man. Yeah. Hopefully hopefully we'll we'll be doing this again when the Eagles and Giants are in the playoffs. Yeah, it would be nice. Eagles-Giants playoff matchup, the the (laughs) divisional round. Hey, maybe. Oh, my gosh. No. Dog, do you realize how much Ajita I'm getting now just at the thought of that? <laughs> hey, man, it's it's got to be talked about, right? Um, we also may have to get you on uh, our, our Giants podcast oh, as well yeah. when Giants play the Eagles this year. So Yeah, no problem. Yeah. I'm all for it. I'll tell everybody how Daniel Jones is a clipboard quarterback. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, we'll uh, we won't fully ignore that point, but <laughs> – like I said, <laughs> I do have an open mind, and I, I do see your argument and where that is coming from for sure. But Fog, listen, thank you. Trent, 
Trent Dilfer, Rex Grossman, quarterbacks. I don't, like that I don't, I don't know if he's Super Trent Dilfer. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if he's Trent Dilfer. <laughs> nah, he's he's much more talented than that. He is yeah. the, definitely talented to that. His IQ yeah. is off the charts, but yeah. th- this is a guy that tries to fit a football through a Cheerio. He's got that Eli Manning and Brett Favre mentality. And I, I think that's what a lot of Giants fans like about him, too. You know, See, that's, that's why I think he does have a chance. He has a chance to stick around because of his mentality. For how cerebral he is, yeah. the decisions that he was making prior to Dable coming in. I love what I'm seeing right now. They're not. Li- Listen, he's only had like he, I think out of, out of all the quarter, uh, quarterbacks in the NFL this year. He's the one that's thrown the least amount of passes 20 plus yards down the field. Think about that. Go back to his numbers the previous two years and how he was deep six in it. Yeah. I mean, I I think the argument is the lack of receiving talent and him himself, right? A portion of the fan base says it's it's him. A portion of the fan base says it's the lack of receiving talent where Galladay and Slayton were dropping passes down the field and that they had nobody to throw to. I think that's the only counter argument to that debate but we can definitely have that debate on big blue avenue um when we hopefully get you on as a guest we would love to chat with you then um but fog thank you so much for joining once again and best of luck this weekend i really appreciate it thank you tom hank i appreciate it man review preview everybody love you guys thanks fog love you guys too all right that was the fog and he always great content. Um, Hank, you know, got, got some hot takes on Daniel Jones, but Hey, we're here for it. We'll, uh, we'll back him up when the time is right. Um, yeah. I don't know? know that I fully agree about the clipboard quarterback because remember what I said earlier, Yeah, yeah. you don't necessarily have that turnaround and go seven and two with a quarterback that stinks. And, you know, if I'm being honest with you, we also need to take into consideration that he doesn't have a lot of great receivers and Tom, yeah. I'm sure you and I will dive more into that tomorrow night on big blue Avenue, but yeah. Pretty much Brian Dable said it himself, like when they were asked if you can keep playing those games, if you're going to have to force Daniel Jones throw the ball, he's like, I don't know. And in my opinion, and I'm obviously not the only Giants fan that thinks this because I saw Tana tweet about this a lot and he retweeted like something that Joe Judge said. And even Joe Judge admitted like basically that Daniel Jones was put in a very tough situation. So That's all I'm going to really say. I'm just glad that we finally have him in a place where he can succeed. Absolutely. A couple more games I want to recap before we get into our new segment here on the show. The Colts beat the Raiders 25-20 in Jeff Saturday's coaching debut. Really happy for him, interim head coach. Matt Ryan reinstated his starting quarterback, which I think was the right move. Um you know, let him reset for a couple weeks. Fortunately, it led to the firing of Frank Reich. The Colts got Jonathan Taylor going finally. They outrushed the Raiders 207 to 77. Paris Campbell and Michael Pittman looked really good. And the Raiders are just awful, Hank. I don't know what it is, man. Like, 
even Jeff Saturday tweeted, this Raiders team is bad from his couch probably that one week. And next week he comes in and he beats them as the head coach of the in, uh, the interim head coach of the Indianapolis Colts. And, man, do the Raiders look bad. And it has nothing to do with them offensively, defensively. I mean, he gave up 25 points to the Colts. The Colts. Yeah, I was going to say, I think as much as you want to be happy for Jeff Saturday, and I am too because I've seen – his press conferences and how he talks. I think he's trying to make the best out of what's really kind of a tough situation for him. Although I also kind of have a yeah. bad feeling that he's going to be a, he's going to be an Ursay puppet, so to speak. But with that having been said, I think this win really says a lot more for how incompetent the Raiders are than really how, how much the Colts made the right move to, make the coaching change. And look, I don't, I don't entirely disagree that Frank getting rid of Frank Reich was necessarily a bad thing. I mean, if you've seen some of his play calls in their earlier losses, it probably had to be done. Although I really think the Colts needed a, they needed a more clean sweep in terms of changes, but unfortunately we know who's pretty much to blame for what happened. That would be the owner who gets arrested for DUIs and has that crazy guitar collection. And now let me get to the Raiders for a second. I th- I can tell you maybe a few problems with the Raiders. Number one, I think the obvious one is Josh McDaniels. I mean, look, anybody could tell you that anybody could have told you that hiring Josh McDaniels was going to end up turning into a disaster for the Raiders. Want proof? Just look at his tenure with the Denver Broncos. And yeah. Tom, are you ready for a fun fact? I am. Bring it. Did you know that? Since starting 6-0 and in his tenure with the Denver Broncos, he has since gone 7-24 and in, his, in the remaining games he's had as a head coach. I had fun. I had, I, I had fun listening bad. to that. Hey, this time next year, he won't be the head coach of the Raiders. And, of course, the I didn't even mention the real irony in that there's also an alternate universe where he might have been the one that got fired from the Colts as opposed to Frank Reich. Because remember, he was like, there was talk that he was about to be the head coach, but then he spurned them at the last minute because Bill Belichick must have given him some offer or maybe sweet-talked him into remaining on the coaching staff in the event that he was about to retire. But obviously, that hasn't quite materialized because, I mean, look where he is now. He's coaching the Raiders and... By the way, I don't know what how much truth there is, or I don't know whether that's an actual joke, but I heard a silly report that Mark Davis doesn't really want to fire him because apparently he doesn't he doesn't like have enough money to give him like the severance pay. Like correct. What he's, is it he's with not him? getting fired at the end of the season? What is it with him and, and these like hires with all, all that money? Like if John Gruden that, if John Gruden didn't have that scandal, he'd st- they'd still be stuck with him. That's Oh, I mean, John Gruden lasted what three three years, maybe. So look, uh, yeah, and he wasn't halfway through that contract. Remember, that would have been a ton of yeah. separate pay. McDaniel's is not even a year in. I, I I think Hank realistically, they're eight games in. McDaniel's has time to turn this ship around and make it right. Sure. But right, but right now, it's not looking bright. Um, I agree, but I also do have to say this: I don't think it's entirely Jeff McDan- or Josh McDaniel's fault. To be fair. Because True. at the end of the day, let's look at a lot of the drafts that the Raiders have made. You can only Terrible. go so many years making so many mistakes 
with first round picks. I mean, look, I, I'm pretty sure. I don't think any of Mike Mayock's drafts are still on that roster. That's how that's how poorly they've done. That tells you all but, you need. To know. I mean, was their first round picks the last few years? Claylon Farrell, um, Alex Leatherwood, Demon Arnett, like terrible draft picks. Leatherwood's not even on the Raiders anymore. He's such a such a reach, such a bad pick. But so for all the talent that they've had on those roster, let's let's not forget they've had so many years worth of terrible drafting. So. It shouldn't be that much of a surprise that the Raiders so are bad. an absolute dumpster fire. Yeah, but um, let's move on to our next game now. The Green Bay Packers upset the Dallas Cowboys 31-28 to in overtime. A lot of overtime games this week. The Packers trailed 28-14 to in the fourth quarter, scoring the final 17 points of the game. And this is where I disagree with Fogg's argument from before. Aaron Rodgers only threw the ball 20 times. But he threw three touchdowns and they won the football game, right? You don't need to throw the ball 40 times to win a football game. I mean, Rodgers was solid. He didn't throw for over 250 yards. He didn't need to. Aaron Jones, 138 rushing yards. A.J. Dillon, 65 rushing yards. And Christian Watson just finally came out of nowhere. And The thing is, Rodgers hasn't had great receivers this year either. So does Rodgers deserve some of the blame for their performance? Sure. Is Matt LaFleur the best head coach? No. Do they have a great offensive line? No. Nope. Do they have a formidable receiving corps? No. But finally, Christian Watson is finally healthy. The rookie out of North Dakota State had four catches for 107 yards and three touchdown receptions off this Dallas secondary. And I was very happy to see that, obviously, because the Dallas loss puts the Giants in sole possession of second place of the NFC East and bumps the Giants up to the five seed right now where they will play the weakest division winner in the playoffs, if that were to hold. But, um, yeah, I liked what I saw defensively from them, too. Two sacks, six QB hits. They forced two Dak Prescott interceptions. I mean, C.D. Lamb still got his fair share, 150 receiving yards on 11 catches and two touchdowns. They couldn't stop the run very well with Tony Pollard, 115 yards. But overall, they won the shootout. And it's due to the fact that, Green Bay was able to establish a running game, and Aaron Rodgers found a way with these no-name receivers winning this football game, Hank. Absolutely great comeback by the Green Bay Packers. And, hey, you know what I like to call this game? The Mike McCarthy special. And fun fact, this was the largest lead that the Dallas Cowboys have ever blown entering the fourth quarter. Don't you just love to see it? I think Rodgers is still very good. Watson is starting to prove why he was drafted so high. Yeah, I agree with that comment. I appreciate the comment, Kelly Duncan. Uh, appreciate you. Um, yeah, I think Rodgers is still an excellent quarterback. I think the problem is this year what he's been surrounded by, right? He hasn't had Randall Cobb. I know I think Bob Tanyan's dealing with an injury, right? Um, so Christian Watson coming onto the scene, that could be huge for him. You want to get more out of Alan Lazard. They don't have Valdez Scantling anymore either. They lost him to the Chiefs, so... You know, new guys have had to step up. Uh, Romeo Dobbs has been inconsistent, but he's a young player that's still trying to find his footing in this league. Thank you very much for the comment, Kelly, by the way. Appreciate that. Um, that actually would have been my name, my birth name, if I was um, the opposite gender. Fun fact. Really? Um, yeah. yeah. It, it is a, uh, a guy's name and a girl's name. Um, but moving on. Um, oh, by the way, one last thing on the Packers. I still think they're playoff contenders. Hot take. 
Um, it's, I still do. That's not as far-fetched as you might think. I mean, they're they're not that far out of that last playoff spot, and you know they're only two points behind San Francisco in what John Sterling often calls the all-important loss column. Yeah. Kelly says that is just so cool. Yeah, I, I definitely um, agree. Um, it's definitely an awesome name. Uh, Taylor Heineke in the profile. It looks like Taylor Heineke. Yeah, it is. Yeah, I think I can confirm that's Taylor Heineke. Uh, nice profile pick, Kelly. Once again, appreciate you commenting and tuning into the show. Last game I want to recap from Week 10. As Fogg was saying, the 49ers are starting to look like a legit Super Bowl contender again. Um, the pieces are falling into the right place. 49ers knock off the Chargers 22-16 to on Monday Night Football. Elijah Mitchell is back. He was the leading rusher with 89 yards on the ground. Jimmy G did not throw any touchdown passes, but Christian McCaffrey scored a touchdown. The 49ers defense had three sacks. Nick Bosa was outstanding. Four quarterback hits. One sack, three tackles for loss. And then Fred Warner with the three passes defended. Justin Herbert did not look good. He did not look good. Um, no, and by the way, I got over 50%. You ready for another Go fun ahead. fact? I think Jimmy G has one of the highest winning percentages for a quarterback who has not thrown a touchdown. I think I heard somewhere two. he's like, yeah, 10 and 2, which I think is the highest yep. for a quarterback since 1950. How does that make sense? Make it make sense. I said the same thing a few days ago when I was on Game On with uh, Nick Morgison when yeah. he obviously filled in for Johnny. But, yeah, no, it, it's it's crazy. But, you know, it also just goes to show you the 49ers have a lot of talent to the point where they don't always necessarily have to rely on Jimmy G. In fact, in a lot of the games that they win, I feel like, it has more to do with Jimmy G not losing the games than like him winning the game, so to speak, if that even makes any sense. Yeah, I mean, I guess you could say that too because the Chargers, again, no Keenan Allen or Mike Williams. The 49ers, they dominated time of possession. They controlled the ball for 36 minutes, which is old-school football right there. Um, You know, and Austin Eckler only had 24 rushing yards. They kept the ball in their possession, and they stopped the run, which forced Justin Herbert – into third and long situations with receivers named Josh Palmer and DeAndre Carter. So they really didn't have much going for them that game. I still think the Chargers might be a playoff team, but it'll be left to be seen. And uh, Deanna Karens with a comment saying, go review and preview. Thank you so much, Deanna, for the comment. Um, Yes, very, very special friend of mine. Um, Yes. Always good to have uh, the lady commenting on the show. Um, next up, a new segment debuting on Review and Preview here tonight. Are you ready for this, folks? Let's do it. Studs and duds. Um, this was pitched to me by um, a friend of ours, a brand member, actually. And I guess the way this is going to work, we're going to list off a few studs and duds from week 10. And we'll debate on this. Um, studs, meaning you had a great performance. It could be a player, a team, or a coach. Um, duds, same thing applies. And then we'll take it from there. We'll see how this goes. But um, Hank, my first thought of the week, I'm going to have to go with Patrick Mahomes. Um, 
again, four touchdowns. The guy is phenomenal. They're going up against the Jaguars defense, but I thought he was really, really rock solid. Um, who was your first stud of the week? My first stud, I have to go with Tua Tonga-Vailoa. The more I watch of him, the more I keep feeling justified knowing that I really liked what I saw from him out of college. And, you know, I there was never a doubt in my mind that he was going to be the answer as the Dolphins quarterback. He just needed to be in the right system. And again, blowout win over the Cleveland Browns. He has been absolutely awesome with the RPOs. And look, I think if the Dolphins are going to be a team that catches fire, I would not be the least bit surprised. And hey, they they could ease. I definitely wouldn't be surprised if somehow they overtook the Bills for that division. However, I still think the Bills are the better team talent-wise, like if we look at the entire roster. But that's a very close one, and I definitely think Miami got better. But the real definitely someone that needs to be shouted out for stud is Tua. Kelly says Taylor Heineke, stud muffin. Um <laughs> Here's my thing. I thought about him. I ultimately didn't put him down as a stud due to the individual performance, but he did help Washington knock off the last remaining undefeated team in football. So you could definitely argue he was a stud for week 10. Um, Based off of individual performance, though, I don't know if I'd necessarily go as far as a stud. I'd say he had a really great performance and helped his team win the football game. He's a winner. We all know that. But um, I might keep him off my stud list for this week. Do you agree or disagree with that, Hank? Yeah, no, I th- I think that's absolutely fair. I think it would be good to see maybe another big performance before we could really keep him on the list. But I don't think it's far fetched necessarily to put him on the stud list per se. Just the because honorable mention. Just because I mean, if you really think about it, he kind of he's kind of keeping Washington's season afloat. I mean, they're three and one with him and. It makes it all the more surprising that Ron that Ron Rivera is even considering going yeah. back to Carson Wentz, which I think would be a very big mistake. Absolutely. Um, so so far we have Patrick Mahomes, we have Tua Tungavailoa. Next stud, final quarterback on the list, Colt McCoy. Oh, former Giants legends. Beating now, I know Kyler Murray and Matt Stafford both didn't play last week, but. He beat the defending Super Bowl champions. The guy had a couple touchdown passes through for over 240. I mean, stud performance by Colt McCoy. I mean, every time the guy starts, he seems to have a good performance. Um, when you get a high caliber win like that and perform well, statistically wise, I mean, hey, you're on my list for stud of the week. I might be a little biased because he's a former giant, but Colt McCoy is a stud for week 10. I think the next stud, are you ready for me to keep going with the sub list? I'm ready. I would have to go with Jonathan Taylor, who I think he pretty much needed to be put on this stud list, quite frankly, because he has been an absolute flop for me and probably the big reason why my fantasy team has taken an epic nosedive and why my fantasy chances are pretty much a lost cause at this point. So, okay. I'm not going to get into any fantasy rants. My team just stunk. Let's put it that way, but he did have a great game. (laughs) He did have a great game against the Raiders. And I mean, look, 
I stand by what I said, saying that that win for the Colts had more to do with the incompetence of their opponents than it was them maybe trying to turn around. But you do have to give credit where credit is due. He rushed for a good chunk of the yards in which they outgained the Raiders, and he had a touchdown too. So I got to give him credit where credit is due there. Absolutely. Um, I, I also have him on my list. And Aaron Jones is my next stud of the week. He was outstanding, 138 rushing yards against the Dallas Cowboys. Good de- defense that features Micah Parsons and Demarcus Lawrence. I mean, I really thought that Aaron Jones helped set the tone for Green Bay and helped them stick around in this game and give their uh, offense some balance. So Aaron Judge, Aaron Jones, not Aaron Judge, sorry, is my next stud of Damn it, you just reminded me of my baseball withdrawals. But, yes, I agree with that. Hank, is there anyone else you wanted to put in as your studs of the week? I'm going to go over to the wide receiver position and say Justin Jefferson, who had an absolute monster game against the Buffalo Bills. And, oh, my gosh, what more can I say about that catch that hasn't really been said already? I think that play might have been like the thing that really like that may it may have been the catalyst in the Minnesota Vikings comeback I mean granted they didn't end up scoring but yet then again you had that crazy fumble in the end zone just one of the most incredible games that I have seen all season and isn't and uh isn't it amazing Tom that you had two game both of the national games on Fox ended up going overtime and being thrillers yeah, I, I nonetheless, I think Jefferson, I would argue that Jefferson might very well be the best receiver in the NFL right now. And it's funny, I mentioned Howie Roseman's bad decisions that I stand by criticizing him for. And I think you kind of have an idea which one I'm going with. I'm talking about. <laughs> Kelly says Jefferson is amazing at catching and hitting the gritty. 100%. Best, best receiver in football. Thank goodness how he took Jalen Rager instead of him. Otherwise, he would be torturing us for years to come. My next stud is Christian Watson. Great performance. Three touchdown receptions, 130 yards. Obviously, you're going to be on the list. And then my final stud of the week is Jeff Saturday, interim head coach of the Indianapolis Colts, going out getting a win after Frank Reich gets fired. No coaching experience prior to this on any level, and Saturday just comes in and gets a win for his team to wrap up our studs of the week. Do you think Jeff Saturday deserved to be on that list, or do you think I'm being a little too kind there, Hank? I think putting Jeff Saturday might have been a bit of a stretch again, but you know what? Considering the circumstances and considering who he's being employed by, I'll, I'll allow it. <laughs> Duds. Duds of the week. First up for me is Josh Allen. Um, Three turnovers, as we mentioned earlier, with Bog. Um, Josh Allen does not deserve to make the Pro Bowl this year, folks. He he should not be in the MVP discussion. Um, I I said this earlier in the year. I forget who I asked it to. I asked, like, what makes Josh Allen the number one quarterback in in football? Like, I, I went on a little rant about this. What makes him? What made him the number one quarterback in the NFL arguably is now gone. He's coaching the New York Giants. Josh Allen is my first dud of the week. And honestly, if he continues to play like this, 
He might be a dud of the year, Hank. I mean, you could make that case. However, I think dud of the year, you might have to go with the quarterback that a certain team in Colorado gave up probably a number of magic beans just to get, and that would have to be Russell Wilson. And I mean, look, the two hundred he did have 200 86 yards. However, I think those numbers are very deceiving because he only had a 50% completion rating. Ugh, that's not good. Not and good then a 70.1 rating. Ugh. Terrible. And you look at the Broncos. I mean, it's crazy, but do you remember when we were talking about this team as a possible Super Bowl contender, one that could maybe overtake the Chiefs? I mean, Again, in fairness, I'm not going to say that it's entirely Russell Wilson's fault. I mean, it's not like the head coach that they hired is doing a great job either. But with that being said, you would think that a quarterback who you would you had seen in years past as a consistent MVP candidate to continuously keep on flopping week in and week out for the Denver Broncos, I think that, Tom, is a bigger disappointment, I would argue than Josh Allen because at least Josh Allen still has a is has a good record and has a good team around him is and is doing at least somewhat or a, a decent if you if you know what I mean. Russell Wilson, you can't even say that. Um we just got groundbreaking news that we'll have to announce on Big Blue Avenue tomorrow night. Uh Hank you might want to check the private chat. Um yeah. Yeah. Okay. I, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to be all dramatic, but like. Yeah, that's that's pretty cool stuff. Um, but yeah, um, a little awkward to talk about live on the show, but we will definitely talk about that tomorrow night on Big Blue Avenue. We have a special surprise for you folks on Big Blue Avenue. Uh, but moving on, my next dud of the week is Alvin Kamara, running back of the New Orleans Saints, did not have a good performance at all. Um Again, just not having the best season. He's not scoring touchdowns. It's it's definitely um, a, a tough go for him, and it stinks. He's not as reliable in the passing game as he once was. I know he hasn't been as available, but Alvin Kamara really needs to turn the ship around in order to avoid being um, a dud for the season. Yeah, I don't disagree. I mean, look, again – Am I going to fault him entirely for the Saints woes? No, but has he been helping? Again, big no. But another running back that I think you and I will agree is a dud. I would have to say Austin Eckler. Now, this one I would say is kind of a disappointment because, I mean, look, Garth has called him one of the best uh, candidates for an MVP to not necessarily be a quarterback, so to speak. And I mean, he did have a good, he, he had like what a six consecutive game touchdown streak. Yeah. But this game against the 49ers, 24 yards on six yeah. rushing attempts. Not good. Not, not good at all. But in fairness, that was one really bad game. So I guess I could kind of let him off the hook maybe, but that's still pretty bad. <laughs> My next thought of the week is Kenneth Walker, the third running back for the Seattle Seahawks, 10 rushes, 17 yards, terrible performance. I know he had six catches, but at the end of the day, he has to do better than that um, to stay off 
the dud list. You have much higher expectations. Um, you let one of my fantasy teams down, Kenneth. Come on, man. You got to do a little bit better. I know you have some jet lag after a six-hour flight to Munich, but come on, man. Those Germans were expecting you to ball out, and you failed them, man. Yeah. Thanks <laughs> reaction. No, yeah. I, I just um, think at 17 yards, not good. Yeah. Our last dud of the week, and I think we can both agree on this. This is this is just a, a, a little ridiculous. Kenny Galladay. Kenny Galladay is the dud of the NFL this year. Kenny Galladay has two catches for 22 yards on the season, and he had two drops in Sunday's game against the Houston Texans and was benched for Isaiah Hodgins, who had two catches for 41 receiving yards. Isaiah Hodgins has more catches in one game with the Giants, or more receiving yards in one game with the Giants than Kenny Galladay's had all year with the Giants. Do I have to say it? Not even close. Do I even have to say it? Worst free agent acquisition in Giants history. I don't think I'm even exaggerating because, Tom, like I said, there really haven't been that many terrible free agent acquisitions. So, yeah, and I don't think that take is necessarily a a far-fetched either. Galladay was a Stafford product. I mean, He's right. Yeah. He's definitely right. Um Steve says, what do you expect from a Sparty running back? I know, man. Hey, congrats. Your team is still in the mix for a college football playoff berth. Those Wolverines. Go Blue. But Go Blue. That'll By wrap way, up our – Are you ready up. for my uh, last uh, dud that I oh, have to give you? Oh, we have go. one more. Sure. I do have one more. And um, I, my dud for this week in terms of being a coach, you would think that I'm going to shame Josh McDaniels of the Las Vegas Raiders for this. However – Despite his terrible performance, I'm actually going to let him off the hook. So, Josh McDaniels, you should be very thankful you're not on my dud list. Mike McCarthy, on the other hand, is not so lucky. And let me tell you why. It's third and four. You're up against a team that has a terrible defense. And you're I would say you're pretty much in field goal range now. Instead, you attempt to pass. And it's incomplete. Okay, that's forgivable because you're at fourth and four, but now you face a tough decision. Do you go for it, or do you or do you rely on Brett Maher to kick a 51-yard field goal, knowing that Brett Maher has been pretty much money in most of those situations for the Dallas Cowboys? And obviously, they go for it. Once again, they fail. Now, you might be thinking, are you shaming Mike McCarthy because he failed to – he failed with his fourth down attempt? No. In fact, like I said, it's four down territory. I don't really disagree with the idea of going for it on fourth down. But when it's third and four, and like I said, the Packers defense can't stop the run, and you have Tony Pollard and Ezekiel Elliott, why don't you run the ball? Doesn't make sense. So that was a dumb decision. Cost his team the game. Mike McCarthy, just for that, you are on the dud list. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. He did not have a good performance. How did Gettleman whiff so bad on Galladay? Gettleman whiffed on a lot of people, but I don't, I don't know. I do not have the answer to that question, unfortunately. I wish I did. But 
to wrap up the show, we have one more segment. We're going to quickly preview a couple games here for week 11. And they are, in my opinion, the top six games of the week. Um, obviously, we'll talk more about the Giants tomorrow night. We talked about them earlier on the show, but the Tennessee Titans at the Green Bay Packers on Thursday night football tomorrow night in Lambeau. Green Bay is favored by three here, Hank. Um, Titans place their cornerback, Caleb Farley, on injured reserve. Um, Rodgers, Jones, Lazard, they're all banged up this year. But you know what? You know what, Hank? The Packers don't lose often in Lambeau. And I'm going to go with them to beat the 6-3 and three Titans and uh, improve to 5-6 and six on the season. Um, keeping within striking distance for a wild card spot. You know what? As tempted as I am to go against that uh, pick because the Titans are one of the sneaky good teams, there's there's one problem I have. It's their quarterback situation. And not to mention you have them going into Lambeau. And make no mistake, I'm not sure the Packers are necessarily going to be a playoff time. I mean, look, it's happened before where Aaron Rodgers has rallied the Packers with a bad record with a seriously long winning streak into the playoffs and to the NFC championship game. So I do think they'll win this week, but as far as like what happens the rest of the season, I, I think that team is, this team is weaker than the one that I'm referring to. And that, that is of course, 2016. Green Bay Packers. But with that having been said, give me the Packers this week because, like I said, I just simply do not trust the Titans and their quarterback situation, although I wouldn't be shocked if my namesake at running back has a good game. Yeah, Derrick Henry is always a threat, but uh, we'll see what happens. Steve says, I'm excited about McCarthy's performance. I hope he keeps it up. Yeah. All right. So we're one for one right now with Green Bay. Next up, the Cleveland Browns at the Buffalo Bills. The Bills are favored by eight and a half. Um, we know that the Browns are not very successful on the road this year. Um, Buffalo coming off two losses, their first loss at home. They need Jordan Poyer and Kyer Elam to be healthy. The Browns are still starting Jacoby Brissett for at least one more week. Um, their number one option right now is Donovan Peoples-Jones, which is a problem for me, and the Browns have only won one road game this year. Um, ultimately, I think it's going to come down to the Bills' front seven against Nick Chubb, and ultimately I think the Browns won't have enough to keep up pace with the Buffalo Bills. I don't see them losing three in a row, and I don't see them losing back-to-back games at home. I just don't see it happening, and I don't see Josh Allen fumbling at the goal line again. I'll tell you what, I wouldn't be surprised if somehow the Browns were able to cover, but with that having said, are they going to be beating the Bills? I mean, look, even if the Bills somehow decided to start Matt Castle, or who's their backup? No, I'm sorry, Case Keenum. I'm thinking of another backup quarterback they've had in years past. Even if the Bills were to start Case Keenum in this game, which I'm honestly not opposed to, and in fact, I said on game on that I, I would probably consider resting Josh Allen if he really is hurt as badly as I thought he looked after that game against the Vikings. Even if that were the case, I'm still taking Buffalo. 
Give me the Bills. They're way too talented. There, I there is no way they're losing three in a row. I'm sorry, it's not happening. I agree. Next up, the Philadelphia Eagles taking on the Indianapolis Colts. Eagles are eight and one. Colts are four, five, and one. Eagles favored by six and a half on the road. Um, pin that banner up here for you. Jeff Saturday, one and zero as a head coach. Will the Eagles fall again? Well. The Eagles are 4-0 on the road this year. Their defense has given up less than 20 points per game, and the Colts' offense is only averaging 15 points per game. Dallas Goddard, as Fogg mentioned earlier tonight, will miss time with an injury, but they still have A.J. Brown, six touchdown catches on the season. Miles Sanders, who's doing really well on the ground. Colts needs to continue to get Jonathan Taylor going. Now, granted, the Jordan Davis injury will hurt Philadelphia's front, but they still have Fletcher Cox. They still have Milton Williams, Brandon Graham, and now they added Linval Joseph to the mix. Unfortunately, I'm picking the Philadelphia Eagles here, but I don't know if they cover this or not. I think that's more of the question for me. We saw the Chiefs go into uh, Lucas Oil earlier this year and struggle. I could see the Eagles doing that again early, but I can't see a team that just won eight straight to start off the season, all of a sudden losing two in a row. Again, this might sound crazy, but I think that loss might be a good thing kind of for the Eagles because now you don't really have to focus on the will they or won't they go undefeated talk. And look, I know the Colts are four or five and one and technically are within striking distance of that last wild card spot, but I'm going to be honest, that team has a lot of issues. And if it wasn't for the fact that they had the Las Vegas Raiders just completely show up on their schedule, I don't know that we're even talking about this as like a close game or like as a threat. And yeah, Adam, I completely agree. I feel like six and a half is kind of being too kind. Give me Philly, although I hope I'm wrong. Yeah, uh I'll be rooting hardcore for the Colts, obviously, but I think the Eagles are going to win it. All right, we're three for three, Hank. Let's see if we can keep it up. I, I, I don't think so. I think this, this is going to be the one we disagree. Well, let's wait and see. The New York Jets, six and three, are at the New England Patriots, five and four. Patriots are favored by three. New England won the first matchup at MetLife earlier this season. This time they're up in Foxborough. The Jets have continued to struggle against the Patriots. They've lost like, 10 to 12 straight matchups now. Could the Patriots do it again? Well, the Jets are 4-0 on the road this season. They have not lost a road game. Both defenses are really good. James Robinson and Michael Carter will be the focal point with Brees Hall being out for the season. The Jets have a fierce defense. Quinn and Williams dominating the interior. We've talked about how much we've loved Dexter Lawrence this season for the Giants. Well, Quinn and Williams has seven sacks for Gang Green. Carl Lawson with four as well. Um, for me, though, I think the Jets' offensive line is going to struggle. Matt Judon has 11 and a half sacks. That leads the NFL. Uh, Dietrich Wise as well with five and a half sacks. Um, you know what? I get it. The Jets are 4-0 on the road. Garrett Wilson's still a little banged up. If they stuff the run, you know, I, I don't know if Zach Wilson's going to be able to beat you. So, ironically enough, even though they just beat the Bills and are coming off a bye, I think they're losing to, to New England. I'm going to go with the Patriots here at home. 
you might expect that I would pick New England. I mean, let's look at the let's look at the history for a minute. The the Jets have just it's been a long time since the Jets beat the Patriots. And in fact, Tom, do you know who the last Jets quarterback to win a game at Foxborough during the regular season was? Regular season, so not Mark Sanchez. That was in the playoffs, uh, January 16, 2011. For Mark Sanchez, Chad Pennington, Brett Favre. Yes, that was the overtime game that put the Jets at, I believe it was 7-3, and three, and then they had that upset win against the Titans, and then they wound up collapsing going 9-7. And, and they seven. finished 9-7, and seven. yep. Missing the playoffs entirely, yep. So I think a blind squirrel eventually finds its nuts. I think the streak is finally going to end. The Jets are going to get their first win against the New England Patriots since I want to say 2015. I know they had an overtime win in 2013, but I think 2015 and 2015. Yeah. I know they were both overtime games was the last time the Jets won a game against New England. And it's been a while since they've won a game at Foxborough. The Jets are proving a lot of people wrong. I think their defense is good. And I'm going to be honest, I think the Patriots are probably favored, not really just because of their defense, but also because it's Bill Belichick and their reputation. And you know Bill Belichick loves nothing more than beating the Jets. Like, I mean. Exactly my point. Rob Salah, Bill Belichick. Rob Salah. Bill Belichick. Again, this is kind of a different Jets team, so that's why I'm going to differ. However, I'm not going to be surprised by any stretch if you're right and I'm wrong. Absolutely. Um, hopefully, Gang Green pulls it out. Uh, Cowboys, 6-3 and three at the Vikings, 8-1. and one. Dallas is favored by one despite losing to the Green Bay Packers, a team that Minnesota dominated this past season. Goes to show you, people really view Dallas as America's team. Anyway. That has uh, been true since I was in diapers. This is the game of the week, in my opinion. Um, you know, it may not look like it on paper, but I think it is. The Vikings are 4-0 at home. Uh, Dalvin Cook is a factor. 727 rushing yards and six TDs. Justin Jefferson is the NFL leading receiver in receiving yards right now. And their defense is lethal. Zadarius Smith nine and a half sacks, Daniil Hunter, six sacks, Harrison Smith with four picks, veteran Patrick Peterson, three picks and 12 passes defended. What was the issue with the Vikings the previous couple of years, why they were floating around 500, their secondary, their defense, had trouble stopping the run, couldn't cover. Um, when I look at Dallas, outside of CeeDee Lamb, not much scares me offensively. Sure, Tony Pollard can get stuff done. But look who the Vikings have on that D-line. Smith, Hunter, Tomlinson, Harrison Phillips, you name it. They have a lot of depth. And I think it's going to come down to, can Micah Parsons make a play? Can Trayvon Diggs make a play against Justin Jefferson? That's a key matchup for me. Can Demarcus Lawrence and Durant Armstrong get get pressure off of two solid tackles in Christian Darasaw and Brian O'Neill? That's what I want to see. I don't think we're going to see it enough. We're going with Skull here. The Minnesota Vikings improved to nine and one. Let me just pin uh, Adam's comment right there. 
And I knew he would say something like that because I know you cannot stand the Dallas Cowboys. And I tend to agree with him for the most part a lot when it comes to the Dallas Cowboys. And now, though, I'm going to have to agree with Kelly's Duncan, Co- Kelly Duncan's comment. Vikings about to eat. Let me just put it this way. The Cowboys being favored by one, that's just kind of disrespectful right there. Like the Vikings, like I said, I knew they would be an improved team, but not to the extent that Tom did. And again, Tom, I can't, I got to keep giving you credit. You saw this coming about a mile away, probably before the rest of us did. And I know you're going to continue to rub that in my face all season long and rub that into every single member of Review and Preview's face all season long. I love how you're doing the skull thing. But, um, yeah, no, quite simply, Minnesota just has too talented of a team. I don't think they're losing to the Dallas Cowboys. And once again, the Mike McCarthy special, I think, is going to come back to haunt the Dallas Cowboys. Give me the bikes. And Steve mentions a good point. Patrick Peterson has revived his career in Minnesota. A lot of people thought he was done after he left the Cardinals. But Minnesota, again, they re-signed him this year, and it's helped. It's benefited their young corners in Cam Dantzler and Andrew Booth. I really do. Highly disrespectful to the Vikings. Yeah, I agree 100%. Uh, Adrian Peterson, question mark. Did you say something about the running back? Uh, Uh, Never mind. No, I think he got confused when he said Peterson. And to be fair, I usually oh. tend to think Adrian Peterson when I whenever I talk hear about Peterson, Vikings, the Minnesota Vikings. I mean, I'd probably yeah. argue that, a- that AP is the greatest greatest player in Vikings history. Um, yeah, you could definitely make the argument. Um, you know, there, there's I would a few say other guys. And Tarkenton or Allen Page. Yeah, I, biased. I would go with Tarkenton, but anyway. Final game, we're going to talk about the Chiefs at the Chargers. Chiefs are favored by six and a half. Keenan Allen and Mike Williams both might play. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, Chiefs have won three straight now, as where the Chargers have lost two out of their last three. Justin Herbert, his performance has been pedestrian lately. A lot of receivers have been absent for him. Austin Eckler has had to leave the load. 10 total touchdowns on the season, six on the ground, and four touchdown receptions. When your running back has 67 catches through nine games, that's a problem. That is a problem. Uh, Khalil Mack with seven sacks. He's a threat. Drew Tranquil and Kenneth Murray need to step up. Asante Samuel Jr. needs to take care of business against Kadarius Toney. That's going to be a fun matchup to watch. Um, The Juju injury, I don't know the extent of that, how long it's going to be. Nicole Hardman as well. He did not play last week. Um, when I look at the Chiefs, I, I obviously look at Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey. I mean, those two are a dominant force to be reckoned with. And Chris Jones with seven sacks and the rookie Nick Bolt. I mean, this guy, incredible. 81 tackles and eight tackles for loss. He's been outstanding on that front seven. Um, I, I really think that they are a great and improved defense. But there's just something about them playing in LAC that doesn't sit well with me, Hank. And I, I, I still don't know if the Chiefs are able to sweep the season matchup against the Chargers because this is a divisional game. 
This is on the road, and I don't like this spread at all now that I think of it. But the question I have, are Allen and Williams going to play? Because if Allen and Williams don't play, it's an easy pick for Kansas City. I think I'm probably going to go Chiefs here if Williams and Allen don't play. If they do play, though, I'm going to go with the Chargers just to be different. But I, I guess for right now, give me Kansas City. I Tough. am going to – you know, I'm not sure who's going to win this game personally, but I am going to go with the Chargers covering because, again, like you said – it's a divisional game, and I just I don't like the idea of giving Kansas City six and a half. It does, regardless of the circumstances, even with the injuries that the Chargers have right now, I I think it'll be closer than people think. So I'm gonna I'm gonna say the Chiefs might still find a way to win, but I don't like that spread. So I'm gonna take the Chargers in that sense. I'm gonna take the Chargers with the spread as well. Um, but yeah, that pretty much wraps it up for our show here tonight. Um, it's been an hour, 40 minutes of a lot of fun. Uh, reminder, folks, next week we won't have a live episode of Review and Preview because of Thanksgiving. We'll be moving up Big Blue Avenue to Wednesday next week. It'll be a Wednesday night at 7 p.m. start for uh, Big Blue Avenue. But Review and Preview will be back the following week on Wednesday, November 30th at 7 p.m. with another special guest. Uh, it'll be another NFC team guest um, from up north. I'll put it to you that much. But, Hank, any final thoughts here before we sign off for the night? I really appreciate you coming on. This has been a lot of fun as always, and I think we have another uh, date at it tomorrow on Big Blue. Oh, yeah, definitely. I'm very excited. I had a lot of fun with you as well, Tom. This was, It's always a pleasure getting to come on and – hop on, whether it be like as one of the rotating guest co-hosts or whether I'm filling in in your shoes, which admittedly are shack size to fill when it comes to review and preview. But Tom, once again, I appreciate you having me on and you know I'll always pretty much be there on standby if possible and always good to be talking some football with you. But of course, you know, I am just as excited to be talking about our G-Men tomorrow night on big blue Avenue and previewing the game against the lions, which I'm probably going to be going to actually. So I'm really excited about that and yeah, should be a lot of fun. Let's go big blue. That's right, folks. Um, and a reminder to check us out on all of our social medias at Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, anchor, TikTok as well. Appreciate all the support from everybody, all the comments throughout the night, all the shares and the likes really appreciate it. Please remember to like the show, leave a like, not just because we like getting likes. It's because it helps with the algorithm for our shows. Um, People will be more likely to watch our shows. Uh, That's the way Facebook has been pushing stuff lately. If there's more likes on the video, uh, they'll push it more and people will be more inclined to watch. But um, Hank, thank you so much for joining once again. This has been Review and Preview, everybody. We will see you in two weeks.